Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. So the Greeks uh, had a phrase that says, a people are known by the heroes they crown. And it makes sense that heroes are people who, if we were like them, we'd be who we'd want to be, or they're the ones we look up to that we wish we could be like that. And I know for me, like, hero, who do I think, you know, in movies and stuff, heroes, I'd say Gladiator, you know, that's an amazing movie, and Russell Crowe in that, Braveheart, William Wallace, that's a pretty amazing one. Now, these aren't, I've, I've said before, you know, I'm not a big romantic comedy guy, so that's probably not going to make the list. And Jason Bourne. You know, Jason Bourne's probably the ultimate. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's going to escape. He can drive any vehicle. You know, it doesn't matter what side the steering wheel's on. He's, he's going. But uh, in Hebrews 11, there's a list of heroes of faith. The people as believers, I think we should really aspire to be like. And one in there is Abraham. And in fact, in the heroes of faith, in Hebrews chapter 11, he gets the most coverage because he is seen as the father of faith. And in fact, Genesis dedicates 12 chapters to Abraham. And so he is a great example. And I think as we look, as great of man of faith as Abraham was, he had times where he kind of wavered. And where he questioned as the years went by after God's promise. And I want to ask a question. I thought we'd do an informal survey. How many of you, raise your hand if you grew up outside of the Ozarks? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, I figured we'd have more Ozarks. So that's why I went that way. Yeah, and so you, you know what it means to move from home, to move somewhere else. I grew up in southern Indiana, which is kind of, it is the Ozarks of Indiana. You know, we actually have hills and trees in that part and not a lot of cornfields. It's similar to Kentucky. We hate to say that, but our part is like that. But Abram was called to believe because of a promise that God had made. And so he moved from his hometown. It says, uh, we'll be in Genesis 22, but I want to refresh this. Genesis 12 says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Then he receives this promise. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So again, that's the promise that God gives Abraham that he would have descendants, that his descendants would have a land, and that through his descendants, all people on earth would be blessed through him. Now, what a promise. And as we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is about those first two promises, that his descendants and them living in the land in a relationship with God, ultimately to bring about the Messiah. And that's what the New Testament is about, is about the third promise that all people on earth blessed through him. So in chapter 12, they get to Egypt. 
they leave Canaan for a bit. There's a famine. They go to Egypt, and Abraham says that Sarah's his sister and kind of lies about their relationship partially. And then in, in the next chapter, Lot and Abraham part, and then he has to go rescue Lot as he's captured. And then we have the account we looked at of Hagar and Ishmael, where Sarah kind of doubts the promise, and Abraham wavers, and they have a child with Hagar as a surrogate mother, and they give birth to Ishmael. He's 86 by that point, and it's 11 years since the promise. And then 17 and 18, uh, God promises again that Abraham will have a child within a year, and Sarah laughs at that promise. And then in chapter 21, they give birth to Isaac, and his name means he laughs. And that's what we looked at last week. And in verses 6 and 7, it says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? I like how Sarah phrases that. She is 90. But Abraham's, and she says, I've borne him a son in his old age. My husband's old. But they learned to laugh and laugh with the joy. I like what author John Ortberg says. He says, they were the only two people at Walmart shopping for Huggies and Depends at the same time. Yeah, I think sometimes when we look at God's promises and all that He promises, sometimes the promises maybe seem too big or maybe they just seem too far away. Maybe they seem too wonderful, and it's hard to grasp, hold, and hold on. You know, these promises that in the presence of death, and you're near a loved one or someone you know, maybe the promise of new life seems so far off, or maybe there's a situation in your life where God's promised that He will never leave us. We wonder, God, where where are you? Maybe it's a situation where God's promise He'll work all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, and you wonder how God is going to make good out of this. Or when God says, don't worry, I will provide. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of your daily needs, and you're in financial situations that you're wondering how that's going to happen. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing entirely to believe God. See, there's a difference between believing in God and believing what God says. So this sounds like a great story, but it actually gets better. So even though he's 100, he gets to be a father. And as a father, I can say, what is better than that? You know, I can sympathize with Abraham and Sarah who wanted so bad to have a child and I can sympathize with every couple who struggled with wanting a child because we have had that struggle as well. And you can see sometimes people with kids and they have them young, they they maybe take it for granted, even if they enjoy it, don't understand how blessed they are to have their children. But I can guarantee he made the most of it, that he enjoyed those days on earth, probably like no other days of his life. Life And he treasured those funny things, those things that made him laugh, being able to teach his son Isaac, you know, over and over. I think as a parent, you look at your kids and you can say, time goes too 
fast. And that's what you'll hear as a parent, and it's true. Time goes so fast. I was telling Sean the other day that it, it was so nice, you know, we were, they had, we were watching a show and they had a VCR and a videotape, and I said, you know, it's just hard to really appreciate, even though the quality wasn't as good, like to go to the video store, to look through all the movies, you'd go pick one out, and then you'd put, and everybody watched it at the same time, you know, because that's all there was to do. We didn't have phones, and everybody was together. And now everybody kind of does their own thing. I was thinking of something funny. Uh, you know, you have those funny memories. Uh, years ago, the youth group had a fireworks tent in the parking lot to sell fireworks and raise money for youth trips. And I saw Sean, he ran over there, and he was peeking in when he was really little. And I said, what were you doing? And he said, well, I was spying on them. And I said, you know, it's not nice to spy on people. He says, well, how come James Bond does it then? You know, those times go by fast. When you hold them in their young, time is limited and the days are too short. But in this case, it seemed like it would end sooner than anyone thought because God puts Abraham to the test. And in life, there's always a test. Every year, we will come across a test. And it says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, can you imagine Abraham hearing that command? It goes against everything as a parent. What a horrendous thing that God's got this promise of the son, and Abraham has to be thinking, what in the world? And if you don't know the story, if you're just coming across this for the first time, you'll say, how cruel, how terrible. Is God cruel? How could he just command Abraham to do that? Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, God tested Abraham. There's something in this for Abraham. There's something in this for us. And we can be tested in many ways. Like, How do you respond when money is tight, when your marriage is stretched, when work is more than you can take? I kind of find it funny that even people who are skeptical about God and, people, and even people who are fully believe in God, when things get tough, it's amazing that we get theological. Isn't that interesting that people get theological? They start dealing with meaning and purpose. They say, why is this happening? Implying that there's something more. Why us? Why my child? Why now? What is the purpose? As much as we can, and I make fun of theology sometimes, as much as we can, it's the thing that comes to the surface. And there's always a test, and there's a choice in every test. I read about a, an ethicist named John Cavanaugh who visited Mother Teresa. 
And she asked him, he wanted to see her work, and he was trying to figure out his purpose in life. And she said, what can I pray for you for? And he said, clarity. And she said, oh, I've never had clarity whatsoever. What I have is trust, so I will pray that you trust Jesus. You know, that's what faith really is. It's trusting. It's confidence that God will do what God has said. It's confidence that God is faithful, that God is in control, and we aren't. There's a choice in every test to be faithful. There's a choice to trust. There's a choice to obey. All those things are do things our way. That's the test. I like a quote one person said. They said, the biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think He's you. And I think that's true. You know, we know what, how things should be. We know how they should work out. And we have this idea of how our life's story should unfold and what should happen and the best way to get there. And it's usually the easiest way. But I noticed that even though Abraham received those promises and he heard from God directly, what's Abraham to do? I mean, put yourself in that that situation. Even if God himself said, you know, this wasn't some feeling Abraham had or something. I mean, he literally heard from God. So let's read on in the chapter. It says, early in the morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. There's one thing about Abraham's obedience. Notice that when God said to move, he moved. When God says to do that, he doesn't delay. Like, I'm going to spend the day cutting. He doesn't put it off. He, he responds quickly. Then in verse 4, it said, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Said He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, in the perspective, you kind of wonder, well, what's Abraham saying here? Is he just keeping the servants at bay so they don't try to stop him and think, you know, Abraham, you're old, you have lost your mind. But he says, we will come back to you. And I believe Abraham believes that, but file that away. Now, let's look at verses 6 through 8. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You know what a picture, Abraham and his treasured child, and they're walking up and he, where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide the lamb. Then verses 9 through 12, it says, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the wood. 
Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Now here's the thing, he was going to do it. That he raised the knife, that he was about to sacrifice his son for the burnt offering. And in verse 12, it says, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And that's very important language in the New Testament. If you're familiar with John 3.16, your only son, this child of the promise to fulfill the promise, the promise that would bless us, the promise through whom we would know God and how it was fulfilled is on this child. It goes through this child as God had told Abraham. Then in verses 13 and 14, it says, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. See, he looks up, and instead of the son, God has provided a ram for the sacrifice. He's provided a substitute on the mountain instead of Isaac. And we'll get into that in a minute, but we can see here another example of God's faithfulness. And he said, Abraham, he shows, I know that I am your number one. You have complete trust, this final huge test of faith, having trusted God through His promises, no matter how questionable, no matter what it is, He fully trusts God. So on the theology side, I I want us to look at this, that faith isn't just belief, that real faith results in confidence and action, that faith and action can't be separated. What we truly believe, what we truly put our trust in is seen in what we do. See, James writes that in chapter 2. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. That's what he says about action, that it makes his faith complete, that faith results in action, that there is a component to our faith of obedience. And so that's what Abraham does, that they're inseparable. Now, it seems contradictory to many things, but notice James still said that his, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He had that belief, but that belief went on to be seen in what Abraham did. In Romans 3, Paul says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Notice the difference. Some people say that that is contradictory. But notice what he says. He doesn't say by what he does. He says by observing the law. 
where the law is this system that we do this and we do this to earn, to deserve, to merit salvation. And there is no system. He says, no, we can't do it by observing the law. We are saved by faith. But that doesn't mean faith doesn't have action. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to believe God, to have our confidence, and that changes what we do. That changes our lives. Faith is a trust and a confidence in God that leads to transformed actions and life. So faith is belief. You see, that phrase that on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, God will provide, is that phrase, maybe you've heard uh, Jehovah Jireh, a a famous, a well-known name of God. Now, that's kind of a bad translation. It's actually Yahweh Yireh, but it's the same thing, that God will provide. And so later in history, in the region of Moriah, there is a city called Jerusalem on that mountain. And another father watches his only son carry wood for a sacrifice. The father watches his son, Jesus Christ, die on the cross in our place. See, we're Isaac And there's a lamb provided for the sacrifice in our place, which gives us our salvation that we could never earn. So here's the practical side. And I like what Chuck Swindoll says. He didn't understand the situation, but he knew the righteous character of his God, and he believed the promise he had made. That's the thing. Abraham didn't understand but he believed in who God is and his character and what God could do. So there are a couple things we can gather from this. And here's one thing. What you cling to is often what God wants you to release. The thing you cling the most to is often what God wants you to release. You know, it may be how other people see you and your importance. So maybe you act one way with one group and act another way with a different group and your character is inconsistent because you can't let go of what people think and worry only about what God thinks in every situation. It might be your schedule, that the number one thing I hear, why I can't serve, why I can't do that, it's time. You know, I don't have time for church. I don't have time to serve. I'd really like to. It's important, but it's not really as important as the other things. It may be a relationship that isn't good for you that God wants you to release. So again, what you cling to is often what God wants you to release. But here's the second thing. What you release, He often replaces with something or someone far more valuable. See, God wants us to release things because He's got something better because He can do more. That We see God operate when we have faith, that whatever it is, we can never outgive God. We can never sacrifice more than what He can provide. We can never get, give up something better than what He has for us. And I think we can hear it too much. Do we forget that God gave His only Son so that we could have life, that we can have faith that God knows and wants what's best? 
See, faith is action not that earns, but faith is action that responds. And when we understand what Jesus has done, then we give Him our life. That's called repentance, to turn, and it changes our lives, that we confess that He is Lord, that we're baptized in a, in a watery, in a grave in a watery grave, and we are resurrected to new life, not to deserve, not to earn, but to respond to what He has done. But faith is more than that. It leads us to live differently. And so in Hebrews 11, we get a greater understanding of why Abraham did that. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. He's saying it's through Isaac that this promise will be made true, that it will happen. He knew that God is faithful to his promise. He completely trusts. He has no idea why God is doing this. And it says in verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, he thought, if I do this, God can bring him back from the dead. If God can give us a son at this age, God can raise the child from the dead. But he didn't understand that he was letting us know how we can know who the Messiah is, that he would be the one who would die and raise from the dead. So what did Abraham and Isaac learn that day, and what did Isaac learn from Abraham? I think that's a thing, such an important lesson for Isaac, that his dad's faith would be seen that obedience to God was number one. What did he learn? You know, it says in uh, Wild at Heart, the author John Eldred says, every son in some way receives a wound from his father. But what appeared as a wound to Isaac is this lesson of faith. And that's a question for fathers. Fathers, what lesson do you want to leave your kids? I hope it is that we can leave an example of what faith really is, how Jesus Christ truly is most important and not just another important part of our lives, not just something else we do in our busy schedule. Ultimately, Jesus received a wound, but Scripture says, by His wounds we are healed. And it's at Mount Moriah that we learn what faith is. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.